0: Good morning. My name is Jen Peterman, and I am going to be reading our scripture reading today, so please join me in standing. Our scripture today comes from Mark 10, verses 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, "Let us sit. Let one of us sit at your right hand, and the other at your left in your glory." You don't know what you're asking," Jesus said. "Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism baptism I am baptized with?" We can," they answered. Jesus said to them, "You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant." For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated.
1: I want to start with a question directed towards you parents. Have you ever, after a long day, come home, and you've got dinner ready, you've cleaned up? and you lay down on the couch to watch your favorite show, I don't know, maybe Monday Night Football. And you're laying there, and you realize you're thirsty. But, but you're nice and comfortable. And then you remember, that's why I had kids. <laughs> so you yell up, hey, hey, kid. I don't know your kid's name. Hey, kid, you know, come, come here, I, I need you. And they're like, what I'm doing homework I'm upstairs they're like, yeah I, I know but, but I need you and you hear the sigh and they walk down the stairs and they're standing in front of you and they're like what and you say I, I, I'm thirsty I need you to get me a bottle of water and they look at you puzzled and you explain to them kindly that's why you had kids <laughs> that to fetch things and to mow the lawn you ever done that? No, me either. Uh, but, but I have seriously thought about it. I, the kids, I should ask you that question. Right? Have your parents ever done that? See, yeah. See, I, I have, as a parent, thought about that at times because A, I have authority and I know my kids would listen to me, and B, I'm sinful. Uh, Those two things come together to create a, a really dangerous dynamic where authority can be abused. It's a dangerous dynamic, but it's also an unavoidable dynamic because everyone who has authority is also a sinner. And everyone in this room, virtually everyone in this room, has or will have authority in some capacity. Whether it's teacher over students, professor over AIs, uh, parents over children, bosses over employees, we run into that dynamic of authority coexisting alongside sin that indwells us. And that dynamic can propel us into two very different errors. And those are the errors I want to think about with you this morning. Two ways that authority can get misused. Now last week, Bob promised he was not going to get worked up. He was going to remain calm and, and reflective. And I make no such promise this morning. Okay? The first way that authority can be misused is when we misuse our authority to advance self, especially when we advance self at the expense of others. I'm going to just, just going to call this simply abuse. We abuse our authority when we use it to advance self. Our agenda, our egos, our interests, our comfort, our agendas... Uh, imagine, to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here, uh, imagine a commanding officer in the military. We'll call him Colonel Bulldog. Colonel Bulldog uses the authority that he has rightly been given over his troops to make them mow his lawn, clean his house, cook his dinner, shine his shoes. That's not the intent to which, for which he was given authority. So I think we would all agree that that is an abuse of authority. He's using his authority to lord it over those under him, his charges. That's the kind of abuse of authority I think Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, uh, the question that James and John asks is a fairly... Co- We're embarrassed for them, right, that they asked this. Uh, But if you just read that section, which we did this morning, it's embarrassing. But if you read what comes immediately before that, it's flabbergasting. Did I just make that word up? In, In John chapter 10, immediately preceding what was just read, Jesus is predicting That they're on their way to Jerusalem. And he is going to be handed over to the authorities. He will be mocked, tortured, and executed. And James and John call shotgun. Can we get the best seats when you come into your glory? He's been talking about laying down his life. And they're filled with ambition and bravado. Matthew adds a fantastic detail. In Matthew's account, we come to realize it was actually their mother that they pushed forward to ask the question. That's fantastic. James and John, the sons of thunder... Get mommy to go and ask Jesus for them. And Jesus' response, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to endure? Euphemisms for trials and suffering. Can you go through what I am about to go through? And they say, yeah, we got it. The other ten hear this and they're incensed. Not because their hearts were in the right place, but because they wanted those seats. And Jesus hears what's going on, calls them together, and rebukes them. He says... You know, the rulers of the Gentiles, those Roman soldiers that you so despise, the Pilate who is over you, the Roman governors and prefects, they use their authority and lord it over those under them. You're doing the same thing. Your hearts are in the... He's basically calling them Gentiles. Don't act that way. Jesus could have easily pointed to the poor shepherds in Israel's past. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet Ezekiel calls out the false shepherds of Israel who've been fleecing the flock. They're wearing fine garments, but the sheep are going around naked. They're feeding themselves the best foods, and the sheep are starving. And Jesus says, not so with you. We do it different in my kingdom. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The false shepherds and the Gentiles lead by abusing their authority. Not so you. Not so me. I'm the good shepherd. They were false shepherds. I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You who follow me walk in the same way. Peter, one of the 12 who is being rebuked here by Jesus, picks up on these exact words in his letter to the church, 1 Peter. He urges those who are over God's church be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. The exact words that Jesus uses, but being examples to the flock. My question, what? What happened? How did we get here to this place? What do you mean, Dan? I mean, I can't turn on a streaming service without stumbling across a documentary highlighting abusive power in the church, whether it's the rise and fall of Mars Hill or Hillsong Exposed or shiny happy people about the Gothard ministry movement or social media accounts like the Roy's Report or Preachers in Sneakers. Now our first impulse, defensive impulse, is to say, well that's the media, they hate us, they're, of course they're going to pick up on a few bad examples and highlight. No, no, not the, many of these documentaries, these social media accounts are from Christians inside the church who said, enough, can't keep doing this. It's not the media. It's a crisis of abuse in the church. It's pastors all over the world who haven't heard Jesus' words or frankly didn't care. And they rule over their flocks in an authoritarian manner with heavy hands I saw a video this week doing some research for this of a pastor who called up an older gentleman onto the stage and made him get down on all fours and bark like a dog. Why? Because he thought he could, just to demonstrate his authority. We've got pastors who get rich by fleecing their flocks, who wear thousand dollar sneakers. While people in their congregations, staff members and interns, can't afford a cup of coffee. Pastors who use the authority that they have been delegated to advance self, to climb the ecclesiastical ladder... And so their churches are filled with labor abuse. They cover up and hide child abuse, sexual abuse. They lead heavy handedness, including intimidation and fear. And it's not just the big mega churches with the rich pastors. It can happen in the small and mid sized churches too, where the pastor is elevated or elevates himself to being God's man. You don't dare question or call into account, hold to account God's man. They develop a cult of personality around them. So I'll ask again, what happened? How did we get here? The answer is we adopted worldly models of leadership instead of Christ's evangelicalism's Achilles' heel has always been that it is personality-driven. We have been attracted to and elevated men and women with bravado. We tend to call it boldness. Men and women with ambition, but we baptize it and call it vision. We are attracted to those who hunger for power, And demonstrate power, but don't embrace weakness. Those who walk the way of glory instead of the way of the cross. Can I state the obvious? Jesus doesn't like it, not any of it. He's stretching, he's getting limber. He's working this muscle because he's getting ready to come and overturn some evangelical tables and clean house. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, Dan, why are you yelling at us? (laughs) (laughs) We're not a part of that. But we are. See, I believe one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. If it's happening there, It's us. And we have participated and promoted a culture that props up big personalities, that celebrates celebrity, that has built structures in which abuse can hide and abusers are protected. And we need to stop. I'm asking you to stop. Stop supporting this culture in which abusive power flourishes. Stop going to conferences where pastors are treated like rock stars. Stop streaming the music. Stop buying the books. Stop participating in this gross stuff that is happening in Jesus' name. Students, I don't know how long you're still going to be in Bloomington and part of our church. We're so grateful that you're here. We look forward to sending you out. That's part of our church's mission, to receive and then to send. When you go and you're looking for another church, you're obviously going to look at what ministries are there to suit you and meet your needs. Good. You're going to look at the sermons. Is he pointing me to Jesus? Is he standing under the authority of God's word? Good. Also look at accountability structures. Do you see them? I know that's not a sexy thing to go looking for, but look. Is the pastor held accountable? You will be drawn to the flashy, to the slick. Okay, fine. But who's holding him accountable? Who's holding her accountable? Deontay and I were talking to my office on Thursday. I was telling him a little bit about the sermon, and I'm like, I think Bob assigned this one to me just so he could see me get worked up and mad. And Deontay's like, yeah, bro, if if he was preaching this, he'd have a heart attack on stage. So. So, I get mad, I really do, at abuse. It's not just in the church. It's any place authority exists alongside sin. Christian bosses can abuse and misuse employees, treating them as stepping stones to get ahead, stealing their work product and passing it off as their own. Husbands can abuse wives, become controlling, domineering. Parents, Christian parents, can be abusive and abuse the authority they have over their children. Jesus says, no, no. Follow my pattern. Jesus had all authority over heaven and earth, angels, demons, and he served. Let me put a razor-sharp point on this. If you have authority and you're abusing it, stop. Let me use a better biblical word. Repent. Don't abuse. Husbands, do not abuse your wives. Mom, dad, do not abuse the authority over your children. Bosses, pros, just don't. And as an aside, if you are a victim of abuse and you need help, you'll find it here. I promise you. Don't Suffer alone. Come and get help. That was the first point. <laughs> There's a different direction authority can be abused. And that's by neglect. We misuse authority when re- we refuse to use it in service of others. You, you could call this dereliction of duty, maybe. Maybe. See the simple fact that authority does get abused does not negate its right use. Again imagine that military scenario there's I don't what do I call him Colonel Bulldog Colonel Dish Towel sees Colonel Bulldog and says I don't want to be anything like that. And so he doesn't implement any discipline. He doesn't enforce any training schedule. And he leaves his troops unprepared for battle. See, authority can be sinfully abused. It can also be sinfully neglected. Let me lay aside uh, alongside the Mark 10 passage another passage. Looking only at Mark 10, we might think that Jesus eschewed all authority entirely. And that's not the case. John chapter 13. Jesus is... Clothes still damp, knees still red from being down on his knees, washing his disciples' feet. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He doesn't askew, he doesn't push aside those titles of authority. He says, I am your teacher. I can teach you and command you authoritatively. I am Lord. I have all authority. And here I am on my knees using my authority to serve. Jesus didn't use his authority to turn rocks into bread. He could have. He didn't use his authority to call down legions of angels and deliver him from suffering. He could have. But that would have been a self-serving use of authority, and he did not do that. But Jesus did use his authority to correct, to rebuke, to teach, to heal, to forgive, to command. In, In Mark chapter 10, that passage where Jesus says don't lord it over those under your charge. A few verses before that, he commanded the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Not sell everything you have and give it to me, that would be an abuse of authority. But Jesus did not shy away from authority. Now in our world, in our culture, all the abuse we see has made us, I think, very gun-shy about rightly using, even, our authority. We're afraid of misusing it, and that's a genuine fear, a healthy fear, I think. When I was growing up, my dad had an amazing workshop in the garage. He made knives, he had bandsaws and other cuttings, tools, and Grinders and buffers, and I loved working out in the shop. One day, my dad came into the house white as a ghost, bleeding all over the place. The bandsaw had gone up his thumb and split it in half from the tip to the knuckle. I was scared of the bandsaw from that point forward. I had a healthy respect for it. That's good. I think if you're in the room and you're scared of authority because you're attuned to your sin, you know how the potential lies within you to abuse authority. I want you to serve. I want you to serve. You've got that healthy respect, you know what can go horribly wrong. We don't askew and set aside and shy away from right use of authority. Let me press this into two specific areas where I feel maybe we are. And the first one is parenting. So many parents are afraid to say no. Give choices but no commands. But parents... Part of your responsibility is to teach your kids how to submit to authority. In other words, how to obey. So, parents, tell your children what to do and give them the gift of no. It's good for them, and it'd be kind of fun, too. (laughs) Learn to say no. Parents, God has given you authority. Do not abuse it, but don't misuse it by neglecting it. And the second area is in the church. We've seen the abuse. I think it's made us all a bit leery of even proper use of authority. When Bob started this mini series, he said, we have an authority problem. We all individually kind of rebel and recoil against authority. And that's true at the individual level. It's true corporately also. Churches don't like authority much. As one of my friends, a wise old pastor, says, they don't like meddling sermons. And as pastors, we are often tempted to neglect the authority we steward Because we like to be liked. And because we're genuinely scared of it at times. We're tempted to preach short, feel-good homilies. What I would call cute sermons. Filled with tips and suggestions and advice. But no thunder. No, thus says the Lord. No voice of God. In the church cannot survive long on that i lived under it for 5 years hearing sermon after sermon about tips for that and advice for that and ways to do this and i was spiritually dying the reformers reasoned vox scriptura vox dei the voice of scripture is the voice of god God's voice is an authoritative voice. His word is an authoritative word, and it's meant to be preached in an authoritative manner. Let me pick up where Bob left off something last week. He said the words on this page aren't authoritative because they're old or filled with sage wisdom. They're authoritative because they're tethered to God's authority. God's authority is mediated by His Spirit, through His Word, to His people, and pastors who proclaim the Word stand in that chain. What I say up here, what Bob says up here, has absolutely no authority. I don't know why in the world you would listen to either of us. Except, unless, it's tethered, to scripture, which is tethered to God and his authority and his voice. I asked Bob this week if that was a proper extension of what he had in mind last week. He said, well, I wouldn't say it that way, not because I disagree, but because it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's about right. We come at this task with fear and trembling. Knowing authority can be so misused and so devastatingly abused. But feeling a fire in our gut that we can't ignore either. We've been called to this task to authoritatively preach God's word. God's voice. And we will all who have authority... Be held to account. Did you abuse that authority? Or did you neglect it? Take up the authority that you have been granted. You have been... You are a steward of. And use it to serve others. I I feel like in many ways in this sermon, based on Mark 10... I've been burying the lead, if you will. I've been using it to talk about lessons in service, lessons in leadership and authority, and it is that. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. But the headline is, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This isn't just Leadership 101 that Jesus is teaching us. It's not just how to gain a bigger following by getting people to like you and by serving them. This was the way Jesus lived because of who he was. Our humble God, who did not consider authority with God, something to be clinged on to tightly, but emptied himself and became a servant and went to the cross. Not just a way of leadership, but for us, the way of salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you lead us gently. uh, That you've called us with all authority on heaven and earth to leave behind our sinful ways and to come and find life in you, our Lord, our Savior, our treasure. Father, we confess that we often abuse the authority that you have given us. Sin overwhelms and we abuse. As your church, we confess that we have participated and allowed this to go on. We ask for forgiveness. We plead the blood of Christ. We thank you that your son's life has ransomed us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.